0: Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I might eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with mine on the table for the son of man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed And they began to question one another. Which of them could be who was going to do this?
1: Over 3,000 years ago, the Israelite people found themselves in slavery and in bondage. These were the people that God had chosen to bless the world with. These are the people of a promise. And the enemy had set itself up and there were other nations that aligned themselves with the enemy to destroy this people because they knew the promise and they knew the promise that these people carried. So the enemy forces were rallied to fight against God's people, but God was faithful. And this this nation, these people started with a barren elderly couple and had grown into a massive nation. Then other nations feared them, and so they were in slavery. And when the height of the evil forces were at their worst, when evil was reigning and was pressing down on them, and there was war in the cosmic realms, in the realms that we cannot see for this for people and for this nation, for God's purposes to be fulfilled, when this was at its height and at its worst, God raised up a leader who we call Moses. Moses, he said, I am choosing you and you are going to go to this Pharaoh. You are going to go to the leader of these, the people that are oppressing my people. You are going to go and you are going to say, you're going to be my spokesman. And you're going to say, let my people go. And So Moses did. And he stood up before Pharaoh who had chosen the wrong side in this cosmic war that was happening. Pharaoh aligned himself with the enemy and with the darkness and he said, speaking for Yahweh, God of the Israelites, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. In a sense, in, in essence, he said, no, and bring it on. He challenged himself to the Yahweh, God of the Israelites because Pharaoh believed himself to be a God. So he stood up to the Yahweh, God of the, of the Israelites and said, bring it on. And so in nine poignant targeted attacks, God brings judgment upon the gods of, Israel, of the, of the, Pharaoh, of the Israel, Egyptian people. One by one, he shows that he is stronger, he is supreme, and all will obey him, and he has control over all of heaven and earth. But Pharaoh refused to listen, and Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder. And Moses went to him and said, one more time, you have one more chance. God is saying, let my people go. You have one more chance. And Pharaoh dug his heels in even harder and said, no, bring it on. So in an act of judgment, God declares that all firstborn children would die. Whether they were the rulers or whether they were the sons of prisoners, all firstborns would die. But this was a declaration of judgment, Uh uh-huh, but it was also, that also provided a rescue. He said, anyone who takes a lamb and sacrifices that lamb and puts the blood of the lamb on the tops and the sides of their door, that household will be spared. The lamb will die in their place. And instead of a child dying, instead of you dying, the lamb will die. And anyone who chooses obedience and who chooses to trust in the blood of the lamb will be spared and will be rescued. And so that night, death came. And whenever death saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that house. And that house was spared. And all in that house could live because a lamb had died. And this was the final straw for Pharaoh. He let the Israelite people go. He said, get out of here, let them go. This was a defining moment for the Israelite people, for the rest of their, this was their identifying moment. This was the, the moment in time where their calendar started at this event, they called it Passover because the death angel had passed over their homes because of the blood of a lamb. So they, this, their calendar year started here and they would celebrate this, this event and this moment in their history with a meal. And every part of this meal was highly, highly symbolic. And they would, generations would gather around the table And they would tell the story of how God had spared their lives because of a lamb and he had been faithful to their promises and let them live because of a lamb. And children would ask their parents questions and the parents would answer them. And they would always recount this moment and this time in their history, when Yahweh, their God, their savior, their rescuer, had provided a plan for them, a way for them to be freed and a way for them to be freedom from their bondage from slavery forever because of the blood of
2: a lamb. Morning church. Well, it's great to see everyone here. We got a full house. Can you do me a favor real quick? If you see some empty seats in your row, would you care to scoot in towards the middle? We still have some people that uh, would appreciate that. We're all excited. Today, Luke 22, verses 7 through 23, it is absolutely critical in order for us to understand the text We have to understand the significance of Passover. If we wanna appreciate what scripture's leading us through to do today, we have to have an idea of what Passover was all about. Passover, that was the meal, the last experience Jesus chose to spend with his disciples. One last chance for a meaningful way to teach them what was about to happen. You know, there are special special times in our lives when the, the ordinary just becomes extraordinary. I don't know if you're like me, but I've got random memories throughout the years of things that in the moment I had no idea it was going to become a memory that I would cherish forever. But in that moment, it was ordinary, but it became extraordinary. In fact, a lot of the memories I have we're around a table with family and friends. There's just something about eating with the people you love. We all love and long for this, this connection with one another. And there's a presence just about being with our family and friends around a table that's hard to explain. And Christians call this connection with God and with others around the table communion. If you were to go back to my office, in my office, you would see a picture, a couple pictures of my family on the wall. And if you were to ask me, why do you have pictures of your family to remind you what they look like? I'd say, no, no, the the pictures are there to remind my heart that the pictures remind me of experiences memories trips things we did together as a family that it reminds me of of what is really important and i'm stirred to 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 thank god for those times and to thank god for my family and to pray for them you see the value of a picture it's all emotional that's the value is how it impacts our hearts and now cameras and cell phones they hadn't been they weren't around in bible times but god created a way for his people to have pictures of him and how he had done, how he had worked in delivering them. And the Passover is one of the biggest pictures that he gave his people. The Passover is a picture that was to stir their hearts. It wasn't just for the Hebrews in, in Moses' day. It was for the future generations to, to show them, to remind them what God had done for them, how he had delivered them, and what he was going to do, these feasts and celebrations that God called them to to worship him and experience his presence in. And Passover, it, it involved the entire family. You talk about a great way to teach making it an experience involving all of the senses that the youngest would ask, you know, what does this mean? And everything in the Passover was symbolic. It had meaning behind it of how God worked in bringing about their deliverance. And so any Jew in order to understand his faith would have had to understand Passover. And I would say for us today, in order for us to truly understand communion, we have to have some understanding of Passover. Passover. You see, Jesus and the disciples, they celebrated the Passover like like any good, obedient Jew would have done at the time. However, if you remember in the uh, sermon last week, the text and where we see at the beginning of our text today, that Jesus is aware of Judas' plan to betray him. And so Jesus keeps this meal, the location, a secret. It's like straight out of a spy movie. Peter and John, the closest disciples to him, they don't even know where the meal's going to be. Go talk to the man carrying a jar of water and then talk to the owner of the house. And they don't even know that Jesus took special care in making the arrangements to make sure that this meal with his disciples would not be interrupted. And that's why when we read in verse 15, Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus truly desired, desire of desires, to eat this meal with them. He knew what was coming. But he also knew that the meaning of Passover was getting ready to be changed forever. And that this meal, the Lord's Supper, would be a picture for them to remember him by. And not just them, but for Christians for 2,000 years later have had this picture of the Lord's Supper when we meet around the table to break bread. When you look at the word communion, we take the word communion and you break it down. It's, got, it's common union. Broken down communion is common union. Communion is anything but common. But it is the common union that we all share here today. That every single one of us, you, me, everybody on the face of this planet needs what Jesus did on the cross. Every single one of us in order to be forgiven needs to be washed by his blood. Do you remember last week, though, that Justin preached a powerful message where he was—he was clear: you are not Judas. I'm not Judas. You are not Judas. We feel like Judas sometimes, don't we? But think about this: that's the voice of the enemy. Think about this. The voice of the enemy accuses and condemns. But if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. This is how great of a work that Jesus did in giving his life. There is no condemnation. Think about this. When we are tempted to think we're like Judas, no, we're not. Listen, Jesus longed to eat this meal with his disciples, and that even included Judas. The gospel of John tells us that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then they shared the meal. And if if Jesus was willing to dine and wash Judas' feet, then why in the world do you think he doesn't want to commune with you? You see, that's the voice of the enemy. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing more that he longs for than to commune with each one of us. That's what he died and gave his life for, to make a way. And so the question for us today is, are we prepared? You see, all that's wrong meets all that is right at the table. This is where we read, some of Jesus most well-known words do this in remembrance of me not only are these words of Jesus very well known they're probably some of the most misunderstood words of Jesus as well you see remembrance isn't just doing something in memory of it's not just a memorial that jesus is calling us to but is it it is a an affectionate recollection, an affectionate recalling of Jesus and actualized awareness of his presence to where we are allowing the past to change the present. That we look at how Jesus lived, how he walked, how he talked, how he treated others in community, all that he did, his sinless life and we, we take the past and realize that he has brought us into the story. That we are now part of this. And that when we take communion, we are communing with him and one another. We are part of it. It's, it's, it's taking the past and allowing it to shape and transform the present. You see, all the prophets from Isaiah to John the Revelator, they all envision the future as this huge success, this conqueror's banquet, this messianic meal, this heavenly banquet, great banquet, whatever you want to call it. They all envisioned a meal with, with everyone around the table and Jesus at the very head. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, that when we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, communion ties together the past, the future, and the present. One person has said that the hardest thing about communion to understand is that it invites us to look time at a different, in a different way. The term Memorial is not just bringing the past to memory as a memorial, but bringing the past story and the divine action and rescue of God from the past into the present so that the present becomes part of the story to actualize the past, the future in this present moment and allowing what is ordinary to become extraordinary. All right, I I don't know. This this is a clumsy explanation, but I want to do my best. And remembrance of me is not just in memory of, not just recalling Jesus. I explain it like this. I've had the privilege, the the blessing of coaching my boys and sports teams growing up. And one of my favorite things to do has been to coach them in soccer. And, And I would coach them from when they were, you know, just starting out and learning how to play soccer. And we would go and practice, and I would try to explain to the kids, in soccer, you have positions, and a position is where you move on the field, and the whole team, each one of us has a position, and that forms our formation. We need to stay in our position to keep the formation to play the game correctly. We would go over this and over this in practice. You talk about brilliant coaching, man. I was knocking it out of the park. Saturday game day would come and every week it would be like this. If you've ever seen little kids play soccer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As soon as the ref blows the whistle and the game starts, every kid on the field, it is like they've never heard about position. They don't know a thing about position. They're just chasing the ball. And so it becomes this one big bob, just blob of kids going up and down the field. And as a coach I'd be over there. Oh, come on, you spoiled rotten brats. We worked on this. No, I didn't do that, no. But I would say, remember what we worked on. Remember what we talked about. Play your position. And what would they do? They'd keep running as of law. (laughs) But I would yell, remember, remember. When I was saying remember to them, I wasn't asking them just to remember what I said. What was I asking them? I was asking them to change the present because of the past, by the past, let the past inform the, the present to change it. That's what doing this in remembrance of me is calling us to, to change the present as we focus on him. See, one day we know there is going to be a great banquet that's far better than all we can imagine. But in, until then... The Lord's table is what we have, to commune with one another and most importantly with him. You see, meeting around the Lord's table is an invitation to examine ourselves in the light of Jesus. The Lord's table is calling us to to see ourselves in the story that Jesus is taking the Passover and he's showing that he's starting a new covenant by his blood. The Passover wasn't going to be just about God leading his people out of Pharaoh's land, but delivering his people and the entire world by, the G- by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 warns us not to take the Lord's Supper for granted or to take it in what Scripture calls an, an unworthy manner in an attempt to not take communion in an unworthy manner. We come to the table after we first examine ourselves, not someone else, ourselves, because he has made us part of his story. All that is good and all that is bad meet at the table. And as we want to make sure that we are honoring the body and blood of Jesus, each of us should first examine ourselves. Three areas I want us to examine this morning. The first is we should check our attitudes. We should check our attitudes. If you notice in Luke 22, Jesus began by taking the bread and the cup. He was, gave thanks and then he passed to the disciples. And as we put ourselves into the story, are we people of thankfulness? Are we people of joy? Or are we a bunch of grumbling complainers? Down with joyless Christians. We don't need more of that. Man, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving is what this time is all about. What what has been your attitude lately? Have you been thankful? Or have you been a complainer? You see, no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're facing, nothing that gets thrown at you, nothing, and I mean nothing, can take away the the joy and the peace of knowing Jesus. Every time we meet around the Lord's table, we should have an attitude of thanksgiving. This is a cup of thanksgiving, a cup of blessing, where we are thankful for the love that we see in Christ Jesus. So are you thankful this morning for him writing you into the story and dying for us on the cross? You see, checking our attitudes will set the tone for communion. As we take the bread and the cup, we can't lose sight of the blessing that it truly is. It's not about just delivering his people out of Egypt, but delivering his people out of bondage. We've all been in Egypt, and I don't mean we've been to the pyramids. I mean spiritual Egypt, where we have been slaves to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin, and sin brings death. But thanks be to God, through Jesus, he sets us free. He has given us deliverance. And so as we take the bread and the cup, we should have an attitude of thankfulness for him and the deliverance he offers. But not just our attitude. What about our actions? We need to check our actions. Jesus shocked the disciples by announcing that the hand of the one that would betray him was right there at the table. All that is right and all that is wrong meet at the table. To share a meal with someone in that day in that culture, that that was an act of friendship and loyalty. But to betray one of whom you've eaten with was a terrible thing, let alone to betray the Lord Jesus However, remember, not just Judas, but the rest of the 12 would shortly bail on Jesus in their confusion and fear. I pray that none of us today are in danger of bailing on Jesus, but we can't think we're immune to such temptation. I mean, how many of us would have to admit that we betray him by our actions? Or deny him by our lives. Like Judas, we sell out. Instead of following Jesus, we sell out for something so small see, the disciples, they'd missed it. They didn't get it right away. None of the disciples understood what Jesus was doing here. He had told them over and over and over. He had predicted multiple times that he was going to suffer. The son of man was going to suffer and be killed, but he would also rise. But the disciples couldn't get it. But there was one guy who did, John the Baptist. Do you remember the messenger that came before Jesus? Do you remember what he said in John 1 29? When he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See, John recognized Jesus for who he was, not just a conquering king, but the Lamb of God. For years and years, generations going all the way back to the Exodus, people would slaughter their own lamb in order to have their sins forgiven. But when we meet around the table, we are recognizing that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The perfect lamb. His sacrifice is once and for all. It's not like before. No, he was the perfect sacrifice. Like a lamb without blemish. Spotless. He was flawless before God. So many prophecies you see fulfilled the high priest. They have a hand in giving Jesus up. Why? Because who offers up the sacrifice? The high priest, right? They offer up Jesus the other the the two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus their bones were broken but Jesus wasn't Coincidence? No, because the lamb's bones couldn't be broken. Do you see? Jesus is the perfect lamb. His sacrifice is good once and for all. The, the, the lambs uh, that were offered in Passover, they could, they could not totally remove sin. They would just roll sin over for a year. And so another year would go by. They'd have to slaughter another lamb and repeat the process. Year after year, Jesus' sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God is once and for all. And to remove sin. See, Passover and its meaning was coming to completion. It would be forever changed. There wouldn't be lambs that would have to be slaughtered. It's like the picture of a Polaroid picture, if you remember those. You take a picture... It comes out and you really can't tell what it is, but slowly it gets better and you see a little more and a little more. And then it's like, ah, oh, that's what. Imagine the picture is developing with Passover. That's what Jesus is doing here as he takes it and he says he's bringing in the new covenant by his blood. A new covenant. All right, now let's think about this. Is new better? usually new is better nobody changes something old that's working right for something that's worse why would you do that new is definitely better it's i was thinking about phones do you remember several one of my first cell phones was a nokia those dark blue phones that had the game snake on it i thought that was the coolest thing you had one too right Yeah, it was so cool, but uh, I don't see many of those around anymore. Probably no one has one, right? Why? Because we've got better phones. Newer is better. Jesus is bringing in a new covenant, and this new covenant is so much better than the old. It's like a product saying it's new and improved. Think about that. How can something be new but improved? How did you improve something new? All right, you get what they're saying. They're saying there was something before, but this is new, it's improved, it's better than the old. Jesus, the same thing with the covenant. It was God's grace that gave the first covenant, but the new, the covenant that Jesus was bringing is so much better than the old. And so when we look at the bread and the cup, we've got to give thanks for this new covenant in his blood. Have you ever noticed the bread? That when we take communion here in a moment, that that bread, it's not the best tasting bread. I'm not trying to be disrespectful right now. I'm really not. Hear me out, okay? That that bread, it's made without yeast. It's unleavened, just like what they used in Passover. But it's symbolic of something. The bread represents his body. Why are we using unleavened bread? Well, it's, it's not because the, the communion bread factory was in a hurry and didn't have time for it to rise like they did in the original Passover. That's not it. It's symbolic of yeast. As scripture progresses throughout the Bible, became symbolic of sin. And so it is a simple way in communion to remind ourselves that his body, the bread, was without sin. That Jesus, his life was perfect. And as we meet at the table, we examine our actions in the light of Jesus. We ask if there is any way for God to show us if there is any way in which we are not being God honoring, in which our lives are not yielding to him the honor and respect he deserves. Is there any part of my life that I haven't surrendered to God where I am broken or need to be broken by God's grace. You see, all that is good meets all that is bad at the table. I'm not at the table because I deserve to be here. No, it's the opposite. We are all here at the table because of God's grace and that we see our need for Jesus. And so we should also check our affections, our attitude, our actions, and our affections. What are our heart's desires? Jesus truly loved his disciples. He loved them to the uttermost. There's no greater love than for one to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus demonstrates his perfect love by dying on the cross. You see, when we take communion, we need to examine our heart's affections. What is it that we live for? What is it that we would be willing to die for? You know, some sins can can be so obvious. Some sins just everyone can see and know. But what about the sins of the heart? About the internal, what others can't see? I think one of Jesus' hardest teachings is what this meal is all about. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus is very clear. When it comes to forgiveness, what is expected of his followers? Do you remember in the Lord's prayer how he, he taught us to pray in Matthew 6? He said, "Your kingdom, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the only part of the prayer that Jesus elaborates on that right after he he expands on to say, if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You see, Jesus is very clear to the extent we forgive others is the extent that we will be forgiven. I know right now you think, Chad, you don't, know, you don't know the story, you don't know what they've done, and you're right, I don't. But I know he does, and I know he promises to work and to give us his spirit, and by his grace and his power, we can have victory. That Jesus came to set us free not just a little bit, completely free. Are you hanging on to hurt and bitterness, resentment? Are you hanging on to something and not giving forgiveness like you've been forgiven? You see, to partake of communion in a worthy manner means that we give him our heart, our affections, that we surrender it all, and that we trust he can do what we cannot, that nothing is impossible with God, that he can bring healing, and that he will bring freedom. You know, this is the story of the Passover. When through a lamb, Yahweh rescues his people, the Israelites, from Pharaoh from their slavery and he brings them into a new earthly kingdom. God has simply changed the players, but it is the exact same story. Same story, different players through Jesus, the lamb, God rescues the world from slavery to the powers of sin and death. And God brings us into his heavenly kingdom. We're going to end a little differently today. We are gonna end by taking communion here. Now, normally we end with a time for prayer and we are going to do that, but not just yet. We're, we're going to take communion together. And so this is important. If you do not have a cup, a bread and cup, can you raise your hand real quick? We wanna make sure this is so important that we all do this together. If you need a cup, raise your hand. That we are the body of Christ because of what he's done. The church is his body, he is the head and it's all possible because he gave his body to be broken and his blood was shed for us. I want us to just take a moment, we're gonna sing and during the song, prepare your hearts for communion. I'll come back in a moment and we'll take it together. This is the time where we allow the ordinary to become extraordinary for the church to commune with him.
3: You keep saying at a distance in the shadow of your shame There's a light of hope that shine Won't you come and take your life
2: we thank you for your love for us we were dead in our sins and you came and set us free through the cross father we ask for you to guide our hearts our minds block out distractions that we would commune with you, what you long for. This is your table. Church, we take the loaf, the bread that represents the body that was broken for us, take and eat. cup of blessing the new covenant in his blood that washes away our sins that gives us life we proclaim the lord's death until he comes our lord comes drink thank you for this holy moment, this time. Lord, we thank you. We can't even find words, but we trust your spirit intercedes for us. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. All who agree say, amen. You know, as the body of Christ, as the church We're called to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to bear one another's burdens. We've got some burdens in here. And so right now we are gonna have people here at the front or in the back to pray with you, to lift you up, to encourage you, to hear you. But most importantly, to remind you that God hears your prayers because of Jesus. So as we sing, if you if you want to go to the front or the back, and Heber go to the front, someone will be there to pray with you as well. Give it to him. Don't miss this moment, this opportunity. Love you, church.
3: There's a chair. morning Lord let us feel your presence as we sit at your feet Lord let us lay it all on the table the things that we hide from the world Lord take them away from us Lord help us to trust you help us to sacrifice submit to your will Jesus it's in your name we pray
4: Psalm 133:1 one says, "Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity." Now, we of course know that that means brothers and sisters, right? We have 20 community groups in this church that meet throughout the week. Yeah, applause. <laughs> 20 community groups, guys. Every week these common unions, this body comes together to meet on these mountain in mountains in people's homes to dig deeper into the word, to hold each other accountable, to love on each other, to laugh together, to cry together, and to praise God together. Praise the Lord. That's right. So if you are not in a community group, I want to challenge you guys. You are missing out. You are missing out on an opportunity for relationships that you will carry with you for a really, really long time. My old community group changed my life. And I would not be up on this stage if it wasn't that f- for that community group and for that love that was shared with me and for that opportunity to know Jesus. So... If you lead a community group, invite new people. That's what we're here for, right? If you're not in a community group, you can go to our app, click on Connect, go to Groups. You're going to see our men's and women's ministry groups there and an opportunity to join in on community groups. If you're not tech savvy, I want to encourage you, go to the Connect desk. There's a form. You can stick your name on it. It'll come to me. I will reach out for you. I want to encourage you guys, join in community you, (laughs) it it will change your life. I promise. It's going to change your life. God's going to change your life in a community group. And I want to challenge all of you. If you're not in one, let's get in one. Um, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with us this morning. We can't wait to see you again next week. Until then, have an awesome week and we love you. Thanks guys.